Welcome back from your break. It's great to be together, isn't it? So much to celebrate together as well as um, in the lives of individuals, but also uh, as a church as well. And um, if you are here and you can hear me, please open, uh, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 46. We're beginning our summer series today, which we've affectionately entitled Deep Cuts. And you see up on the graphic behind me, uh, Jim, if we can go back to the uh, perfect Deep Cuts, that's a reference to uh, music. And although I'm sure Deep Cuts has meanings in other settings, but um, with the reprising of vinyl records, of which I own none, but some people now do collect vinyl records, uh, both for their musical quality as well as a memento. Um, A deep cut uh, is a song that is found on an album whose singles may have been heard on the radio, but the, the other titles on the vinyl record, or if it's a digital album, the other titles on the, were not played on the radio and therefore don't get the attention. And, the, um, and so we thought, let's do a series from the book of Psalms, of Psalms that we haven't done before uh, in, our, in our time together. Uh, we keep a list of that. But also perhaps uh, verses within popular Psalms that don't get the attention that maybe they're deserving. So that's the intent of our series, and we'll continue that through the Labor Day weekend and then resume our study of the Gospel of Mark together. Psalm 46 uh, is probably a familiar psalm to uh, many of you. Uh, Why we're beginning our Deep Cut series with it is this psalm has never been uh, preached or taught out of in our church setting, which is ironic in light of you see all the psalms we have uh, taught on. So if it's familiar to you, maybe it's not a deep cut uh, in in the sense of that word. But what I'm going to suggest this morning is whether it's familiar or unfamiliar, uh, the promises given to us in this psalm provide a deeper assurances of God's purposes in days of trouble. And I think you'll find much encouragement from that. So let's read Psalm uh, 46. This is God's word. And the verses will be projected behind me if you're following along that way. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice 
the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I believe, was the Newport Jazz or Music Festival. If you're a New Englander, that annual event is, well, what distinguishes our area during the summer months. And yet there was catastrophic news the opening night. The scheduled artist canceled suddenly. And people are gathering for the week-long or weekend-long festivities at the, and so the concert promoter thought, who can I call that will have the stature of an opening act, a headliner, and will yet be identifiable to this group of people who've traveled far and wide to be a part of the Newport Jazz. And of course, they called the leading citizen of Lenox, Massachusetts, James Taylor. And he came. He didn't bring his band. He brought his guitar. And he, with less than 24 hours notice, performed the opening act at the... So how many of you, by show of hands, know who James Taylor is, just so I'm on? Good. Mr. Taylor, you may not know this, Linda and I didn't realize this when we saw him July 4th at Tanglewood, is 75 years old. That means his first album, self-titled James Taylor, which some of you know this, was the first album produced by the Beatles label, Apple Records, no, no affiliation with Apple Phones or Apple Incorporated. Features cameos of George Harrison, who helped with some of the songs, and Paul McCartney apparently sings background on that first album. Well, there's a deep cut on that LP some 55 years later that he's had to pull out of the closet and perform at every concert this summer in New England. And if you're familiar with James Taylor, you know the one I'm going to say. He performed at our night because it was pouring rain at Tanglewood. We were under the cover, but we've been out. And it was a downpour, and the show must go on. And so he performed, to delight of all, Rainy Day Man. 
It was a deep cut. Nobody sang along with him. Nobody held up their phone like they do when they sing Sweet Baby James or Handyman. But it was the appropriate song for the appropriate moment, even though it was a deep cut. Psalm 46 is a psalm that has for the people of God, beginning with the original recipients, spoken to them when they are experiencing deep trouble. Although we're not told what trouble the nation the people of God, Israel, were in in Psalm 46. There's no indications in the verses we just read. It is clearly a time of national calamity and crisis. And its message, therefore, remains a timeless and easily applied psalm in any generation. It's one of the most powerful, one commentator says, songs of confidence in the saving presence of the Lord in the entire book of Psalms. So this morning we're going to look at three aspects of God's care in trouble and in life as sung and detailed in this psalm. But it I can, I'll simply sum up the theme of today's message this way. When we face trouble, God's protective presence makes his people secure. Indeed, it does. This is a psalm God has given us to turn to when we face trouble. Because God's protective presence makes his people secure. And just to be clear, Jesus told us that in telling his disciples what it would mean to follow him in this world. He said in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So trouble is going to come to the people of God. Trouble is going to come to the Christian. It's going to come to the church of Jesus Christ. He promised it. Woven now as it it would be into our world as a result of the fall, Christians are not exempt from trouble. The church is not immune from trouble. But this psalm brings hope in the midst of trouble. So as we turn our attention to Psalm 46, my prayer has been, as I've spent time ruminating on it this week, that God would use this psalm in your life, not simply this morning, but in days and weeks ahead, to bring strong hope when we face real troubles. There's three aspects of God's care safety and strength in this psalm. And the first one is found in the opening verses, God's protection. God's protection. Let's let's reread the verses again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble 
at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength. It's interesting, isn't it? That the first word of this psalm is God. Before there's any description of circumstances, before there's any complaint, those who edited the, and compiled the, the book of Psalms, the Psalms that immediately preceded are very personal Psalms, composed arguably by the sons of Korah. And those, are, those do describe circumstances. Those do take up a personal complaint as they seek for the Lord's help. But this Psalm begins by declaring God is. God is. And the first image, remember, this is a song, and like Mr. Taylor, 75 years, and they often use imagery like poetry to communicate truth that will both fuel our imagination, but also stir the hearts of those singing or hearing or reading to consider this reality. The first image of God is that of a refuge, a refuge. God is our refuge. And that is a specific word that is especially true in the first 41 Psalms, commentators say, in the book of Psalms. God is our refuge. When I was driving my mother home from Maine, that's to get to the Philadelphia suburbs, that can be uh, roughly a 12 to 14 hour trip based on construction and traffic. We got to the Freeport area and my mom likes to get to her destination. She doesn't like to stop a lot. She doesn't need to eat a lot. When we're driving, she likes me to drive the speed limit, but she wants to keep going. And yet, when we got to the Freeport area, something unexpected happened, and it wasn't a speeding ticket. And we had to both slow down and seek refuge. It was raining in Maine. I know that's shocking to you who have lived this summer here in Massachusetts. It was raining but it wasn't just raining, it was raining so hard, so suddenly, that we couldn't see the taillights in of the cars in front of us. And so my mom, who sometimes forget, and I love her and she often listens to my story, forgets that she's not the driver, began to take charge of the situation and began to tell me that I needed to communicate with the cars in front of us, that they need to turn their taillights on so we can see them. But then secondly, the question of a 90-year-old mother, do you think we need to pull over? And me being the safest driver in our family, extended or otherwise, said, why, no. Why would we do that? And yet we came to one of those overpasses, and it was raining hard, and we pulled over onto the shoulder, and we found refuge from the rain in Maine while other cars drove on, headlights on or not. Instant relief. We could have sat there, well, she wouldn't have let me sit there too long, but relief while the storm was raging around us. 
That's what a refuge is. Refuge is relief from the rain. Refuge is relief from the storm. Refuge is who God is. And just so we're clear, we need help to turn to him and believe that because he says immediately, God is our refuge and our, what's the next word in your Bible? Strength. Because the psalmist knows, familiar as he is with his own, that when storms come and when calamity strikes a nation, we know what God is, but our instinct is to trust in ourselves to solve the problem, to deal with the crisis, to fix what's wrong. And he's saying, no, God is our refuge and our strength, meaning he gives strength to the people of God to find refuge in him. He strengthens you and I to act. He strengthens you and I with wisdom to decide. We're infused, the psalmist is telling us, with power to not only not be discouraged or not be fearful or not be anxious, but to find relief in him. Isn't that good news? And lest you think, as I'm tempted to think, that God's protection in a time of crisis is reserved for the super spiritual people. Do you have any super spiritual people in your life? I think Linda's super in many ways, super spiritual. And I can be tempted to think that, well, God is taking care of her. She's praying in ways that I need to grow in. She's devoting herself to scripture in terms of devotions and ways that I need to linger. I can come up with a whole list. And I can be tempted to think, because even though I'm gospel-centered, there's this other part of me that forgets the gospel very quickly and begins to believe that God is a refuge and strength to super spiritual people, like the Tuesday prayer time. Or the life group leaders. Or the deacons. Or whoever you have on a pedestal Praise God that these people are exhibiting graces like that. But this psalm says God is a help to his people. All of them. He's a, isn't that good news? And it says a very present help in trouble. The Hebrew there for trouble is the trouble you and I experience where we feel hemmed in where there is no back door of escape, where there is no emergency exit for you to now, when you are hemmed in, it says he is a very present trouble in that moment. When you see no way out. I mean, I could spin scenarios where you are confronted with a circumstance where you're in a situation and it's just broken and it isn't probably going to get fixed. Doesn't mean we don't pray for God to do it, but sometimes he doesn't 
do it the way we want them to do it. And this is a psalm for people who feel hemmed in by their troubles. In those situations, he is surely a very present help, meaning he is surely found. That's what it literally says, according to the Hebrew commentators. He is surely found. He is found abundantly. And it's psalmist did not say God will help you. He doesn't say, like my insurance company says, help is on the way. He doesn't say when I call AAA and my rented car, which is a battery-operated car, is completely timed out, and the supercharging station I was counting on is closed. He doesn't say, we're coming. He doesn't say that. He says, I am with you to help you. I'm present to help you because I am your refuge. He comes to us himself. Isn't that amazing? He comes to us with all his care and compassion and wisdom and strength. This is the promise in the opening verses of the psalm over our lives. God himself is mightily present to help you in our, your worst moments, to help us as a church in our worst we could stop there. I'm tempted to just bring Jim up and let's sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God because just that enough is such a tonic when there is trouble. But the psalmist doesn't let us stop there because he immediately follows verse 2 with a therefore. And like they've always said, when there's a therefore in the text, you want to find out what it's there for. Therefore, this is tough. We will not fear. Can't say that. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at swelling four catastrophes, the earth literally is shaking. The mountains are slipping. Okay, these are all images here now. The waters are roaring. The mountains are trembling at the water swelling. Therefore, we will not fear. So picture you're on one of those playground seesaws. Did you ever play on those. I, they're probably not legal now. They're probably not safe. Insurance companies have taken them out of. But I grew up on those. You know what I mean? Those seesaws? They were great with sisters because when they were trusting you to not jump off of them when they were at the height, that's the exact moment when I would jump off and they would come crashing down. We're close now. The gospels reconciled us, but they remind me of all that craziness growing up. So picture, right, your life on that seesaw, and you're having an ordinary day where on the whole, things seem in balance. And then the news comes that your source of income or your employment is changing. And the amount of fear in your life begins to increase, and you begin to go higher. Oh, yeah, and then there's the phone call from your family member. 
and they're coming to you for counsel, advice, because they're experiencing a deep crisis, and you don't know what to say. And you go a little higher. And then, like me, you're just confronted with, I live in a culture that because I am a now YouTube Christian, who some watch on YouTube, but you see it at work, I'm associated with bigotry, misogyny, which is hatred of women, anti this, against that. And I've got people on YouTube that sometimes may act like that, but I'm, I'm trying not to be in any, I'm trying to represent Christ while standing for truth. But, and my fear, go, I'm going to be, not only misrepresented, I'm going to be slandered. I'm going to be ridiculed. People are going to relate to me out of this, and, and I can just, and now I'm suspended on that seesaw, and I want to get off, but the fears, right, are so loaded down that I can't. But this scripture says, if we genuinely believe that God is our refuge and strength, therefore, we will not fear because he gives us the strength through psalms like this to trust him. And the seesaw starts. See, this isn't just theology. This is how do you face trouble? How do I face trouble? How do we face trouble as a church? Trouble is going to come. We're going to be on that seesaw. We're going to feel like this is out of control and I want to get off, but I can't get off because I'm hemmed in. But God is our refuge and strength. I know for some of the people I have shared the gospel with, after they've rejected it, the Lord in his providence has still got their eyes right on me because they're seeing if I'm any different from them when the news is bad. And by God's grace, I'm praying, Lord, make this psalm and psalms like it be the counterweight. Not just when I'm singing in church, but on Tuesday afternoon when I'm with people who think I'm these things or I've gotten this bad news or people looking to me in that moment. We will not fear because his protective presence is with us. Amen? So that should be Crossway's new mission statement. Crossway Church, we will not fear. Not because we're not fearful, but because Psalm 46 says, God is our very present help, literally, abundantly, even if it feels like an earthquake is taking away everything you treasure. We will not fear. I need this psalm. I need this psalm to perform some deeper surgery. I need to take myself to the Lord and say, it's not enough to be familiar with this and sing the hymn. I want this to shape me more. I want this to be the controlling, defining perspective. I want this to be what I turn to when I am looking trouble in the eye and I say right back to it. God is. 
Amen? Then we have good news to offer the culture, despite what they say. We're not even yet to Jesus, and we'll get there. Nothing will do us ultimate harm, the psalmist, when we are safe in God's protective presence. It is found in him. Let's look at the next point. I'll move more efficiently now that I've hopefully... God's presence is with us, verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Do you see the contrast and mood? We go from earthquakes and foaming seas and calamities to there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's the chorus. It's repeated again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. But look at the river of verse 4. Alan Ross, who's a commentator, Old Testament scholar with the Mentor Commentary Series, which I've benefited from, suggests that the original audience would have been familiar with that image, that picture of a river. Because the Jewish people listening to this would have remembered that in Eden, there was a river running through it that brought that, that life-nourishing water to the garden, to everything in the garden, including the tree of life. And then for those who do deep cuts in the Old Testament, like the prophet Ezekiel, you, you've read then in that great concluding vision, Dr. Ross points out, in the last eight chapters, in cha beginning in chapter 47, there's a temple pictured there and a river of life flowing from that temple. And it's giving life and nourishment to all the earth and all of the seas turning salt water into fresh water. I know how I feel about that. I like my salt water when I go to the beach. But in the vision, it turns salt water into fresh water. And it says that there's a river that runs through the city of God. But Jerusalem didn't have a river in it. Jerusalem didn't have a river in it. There was no river in Jerusalem. What city is he talking about that there's a river that runs through it that gives life giving nourishment. The city reinforces the image of a, of a fortress, of a refuge, where like an army that's being attacked by an invading army, once they go across, you know, the drawbridge and they close the gate and they say, oh, we're safe inside the walls. But in this city, it's not just a fortress that the that the people of God are in represent God himself, but there's a river that runs through it. It's a picture of his presence. His presence idealized here as the city whose river makes glad its occupants. 
God dwelling with his people, protected safely, dwelling in peace. The world around it, turmoil, threats, upheaval. But inside the city, there is no contest. And just to be clear, the one who is in the midst of her, verse 5, who says to the people of God who take refuge in him, you shall not be moved, I will help you when the morning dawns. That phrase, Dr. Ross points out, when the morning dawns, is the exact same phrase in Hebrew that we read in Exodus when the waters came crushing down on the Egyptian army and routed their enemies and delivered them into his purposes, as his treasured possession, as he's bringing them to himself out of Egypt to Mount Sinai to covenant with them. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Rebellious humanity is rising up against God and his purpose. But then God speaks, literally, he gives his voice to it. And the trouble we faced just melts. So, if the psalmist were listening to my message last week, which he, he wouldn't, he'd have better things to do, he would remind us again, don't be deceived by the headlines. Don't be deceived by appearances. Don't be deceived by what your phone is breaking news today, what your newscast is saying is important tomorrow. The Lord, here's the chorus, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this refrain, which is repeated again in verse 11, crystallizes again this precious promise that Yahweh, do you see it there, the capital letters L-O-R-D, the Lord of hosts is with us. Not God, though God is our refuge and strength of verse 1, but the Lord, the personal covenant name given to Moses, the name that distinguishes Yahweh from all of the other competing idols and claims, the personal God who pledges himself to his people, binds himself to them in their time of, and he is the Lord of hosts. He, he brings with them, if you will, his heavenly legions. In other words, the powerful, infinite, personal God is with us. The heavenly warrior, our matchless king, is also a personal savior. God's protection, verses 1 through 3. God's presence. And now the psalm concludes, God speaks. He speaks for the first time in the psalm. In verses 8 and 9, the psalmist invites us then, having reminded us to consider and behold the works of the Lord, to reflect on their past as a pointer to his future acts. Perhaps he's referring this audience to God's conquest of Pharaoh and their deliverance from Egypt. Or perhaps it's other 
miraculous deliverances here. But he invites them in verse 8 to behold the works of the Lord. And he tells them in verse 9, what is the Lord like? He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. God is moving. He's not passive in history. The psalmist invites us to look up from our fears, to consider the Lord, to consider what he has done to preserve and save his people. And then verse 10, God speaks, be still and know that I am God. Precious words, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The first two Come, behold the works of the Lord. That's imitation. Verse 10 is a command in the Hebrew, I'm told. It's not a suggestion. He's commanding. He's commanding first the ungodly, the unrepentant, to be still and know that he is literally to cease their fight with him, to yield to him, to abandon their cause against him, to put an end to their fighting and surrender to him by knowing that he is God. Isn't that what we're saying when, as Dave was speaking of, giving gospel morsels to someone who is not a Christian, we're in a sense saying to them when we say Jesus calls you to repent of your sins and to trust in him. Jesus is calling you to be still and know God. It's not the be still of Jesus is calling you to have a quiet time with him. He's calling you to put down your arms against him, to stop your fighting. That's how I was for as a Christian. I was hearing these claims, and it was as if the hound of heaven, as I've been told, was, was after me, and I was arguing with God, and I was fighting with God, and I was resisting, and I'd hear the gospel again, and I'd be arguing with God and resisting. And then finally, in a miracle of gracious mercy, I bowed my knee. I surrendered to him. I repented and put my trust in him. And I began my journey with him. I was baptized with him. I joined my first church as a believer. I left the church where I was got John the Baptist. I'm a believer. And then I was introduced to sanctification. I realized I'm still arguing with him. I'm still fighting with him. I'm still resisting him, even though there's something deeper now that is fighting within me to say, be still. Know the Lord. Surrender. So, for the non-Christian, the good news is, this is God's, it's a command, but it is also his merciful appeal to come to Jesus, to hear his command, not as rejection, but to hear his command as grace, to understand what he is saying when he declares that the very reason Jesus Christ came was to deal with our innate, internal, hardwired inclination to fight and argue and resist God. But when we do, when we do surrender, when we 
do repent of our sins, when we do put our trust, he promises to save us by fulfilling this psalm, finding in Christ, first in dealing with our sins and dying for us and its penalty and being raised triumphantly as the deliverer, but receiving his love and his lordship as those who have been called into his kingdom. It's a gracious command. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, I urge you, come to Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Submit to Christ. For us, the appeal is no. Know that he is your God. It is God's command to let him lift from our shoulders my fears about our future. Your disappointments about your past. Your longings for an expected outcome, and they may be good long. Your strivings to move forward or move away. Be still and know I am God. Why? Here's the, here's the seesaw. Here's the promise that brings balance. I will be exalted, verse 10, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. For the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. For the Christian, these guarantees of God's ultimate exaltation, I include with this, are promises of joy. Dr. Ross concludes, for God to be exalted for the Christian means we will see him in his beauty and glory and all sufficiency. If not in this life, in the next, we will know him fully in his love and all of the mysteries will be resolved in his wisdom and grace towards us. God will be seen in his glory. God will be seen in his glory and authority as Paul writes, when every knee will bow before Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen? And therefore, for God to be exalted means for you and me, we will be filled with joy and flooded with his goodness. And so we can say with the psalmist, the Lord of hosts is with us. On that day, the God of Jacob has been our fortress. And that, my friend, is a deep cut for eternity. In what ways, as I conclude, have you felt that your world is being turned upside down right now? Have you made God your refuge? Have I made God my refuge today? What might be some things that sometimes I wrongly take refuge in other than the Lord? And how can Jesus today be our refuge and strength 
a very present help for trouble this week, this month, this year, for eternity. When we face trouble, God's protective presence makes his people secure because Christ is with us. Let's pray. Lord, for my soul and for my listeners, we do know, we have become convinced that in this world, there will be trouble. We would ask now that this psalm, Psalm 46, would be a, a, just a continuing source of strong hope to face our troubles with. So strengthen us as you promised to do in verse 1. And fill us with a confidence and courage in the course of this psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob will be exalted. The God of sinners has been exalted. Christ, our Lord, may we look to you and may the strong words of Psalm 46 fortify our faith in you as we do. I pray too, Lord, that those gospel morsels that we have the privilege to share this week with people who do not know you or are seeking you, that you would open their eyes to be still and know that you are God. We pray, Lord, use the gospel message and our sharing of it to bring people to the Lord of Psalm 46. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.